It's Thursday, another preview episode. Welcome in the Point After College Football Show, episode 26, season two, and we're at week 12. Golly, the season's falling by. We got a packed week 12 to talk about. We got a bunch of games, a bunch of scenarios, a bunch of stuff that, hey, you might not know what's going to happen this weekend, but we are here to inform you about what all is happening this weekend. So without further ado, we're about to get the show started. But as always, I'm joined by my guy, my quarterback guru himself, Cody Oaks in the flesh. Got the sunglasses on. He's tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. But hey, we're here. We're grinding. I got my C4 next to me. Cody's got his water, his his colored water next to him, and we're ready to go. Cody, how are you feeling? Happy another week of college football. Another week of great matchups. I am beyond tired. Um, <clears throat> shout out to the new job, mm. a three stripe gang FSP. Never thought you'd see the day, but um, man, just again blessed to have the opportunities that I've had around the game of football, and excited to talk more college football with you, my friend. It's like seeing one of those transfer quarterbacks that goes to that school, like for example, like Kay McNamara to Iowa. You're like, wait, what? Like, what? He looks weird in Iowa. You going to FSP, it's definitely a turn, but it's a good fit. Yeah, it's more like Caleb Williams going to SC, win the Heisman Trophy. That's true. (laughs) That is true. That is very true. Um, But we start every show off with a little rankings. We're going to start off with the CFP rankings. This is the third week, and we finally have movement in the top six. The committee's finally looking at football and rewarding great wins, dominant wins over top ten opponents. Georgia at one, Ohio State two. We're happy about it, right? I have officially jumped on the Georgia train. Um, Ohio State did have the best resume. Um, unfortunately for them, Notre Dame lost again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then obviously Penn State took another loss. But uh, Ohio State had a really, really good resume, if not the best resume in the country, kind of heading into last weekend. Um, Georgia with that top 10 win over a really, really good Missouri football team um, definitely vaulted them above uh, Ohio State ultimately. Yeah, I agree 100%. That Georgia win, you got Brock Bowers back. He was on a snap count. I'm assuming he's probably going to be in a snap count again. We'll get into that Georgia-Tennessee game there too. But Georgia's the best team. They should have been one from the start. Finally, they're at one spot. Glad by that. Three, Michigan. Four, Florida State. Five, Washington. And we're going to start at Florida State and Washington because – I mean, Cody, I don't know when we're going to see Washington move up. They've got a really tough game at Oregon State, which will be the first game we talk about. But what's it going to take for the committee to switch Washington and Florida State? Because I don't know what I don't know what else Washington has to do. Florida State's been looking bland. Florida State's best win is LSU, who's ranked 15. Okay, 15. Three losses, though. And then Clemson, unranked. So I go to you. What are your thoughts about Florida State, Washington? And is there any chance that we're going to see them flipped? before the conference championships to me at some point these guys on the committee and gals on the committee need to simply look at if you matched up florida state and washington i'll take it a step further if you matched up florida state with oregon Mm. does florida state keep it within 10 points and i don't think they do against either of those teams i'll take it a step further against texas against alabama like i wouldn't have even been surprised if they put florida state at seven based on, like you said, who they've played and how they've looked against who they've played since those two big wins at the beginning of the season. 
Yeah, and I'll give credit to Florida State. Their defense has been looking great, but the ACC's been looking really weak. So I want to see this Florida State team against a really high-powered offense in Louisville, which we'll talk about later in the program. But um, and, and then the last on the top 10 that we have really trouble with is Texas and Bama. Seven Texas and Alabama. Now, I understand Alabama-Texas played week two. Texas won in great measures. However, since that win, you can tell Alabama's starting to get things rolling. They've got their quarterback in Milrow. They're efficient on offense. Their defense looks better. Like, if you again, the eye test, like you mentioned before, and I would even think resume, Alabama's favored in that one. But the head-to-head, it just makes me frustrated because if Texas wins out, Cody, and wins the Big 12, Bama wins out, wins the SEC over Georgia, there's a slim chance that – I mean, even if they beat Georgia, they might not even get in because of that Texas win over them week two. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, um, I heard the one of the committee members uh, talk on the radio um, with uh, with um, Full Ride on XM Radio, um, and he was saying how, like, oh yeah, you know, Texas has Quinn Ewers back, so they're looking better. It's like. Did you watch the game? <laughs> Are you watching yeah. the games? And, you know, they're supposed to take into account injuries prior. And, like, right, like, Quinn Ewers was injured. They didn't move Alabama above Texas then. So knowing that now they didn't move te- Alabama above Texas when Quinn Ewers was injured, now that he's back, it's almost like, oh, okay, so you guys really are on the Texas train. And this truly speaks to me to – Big-time college football being a business. It's a better brand to have Texas in right now, probably over in Alabama. Recency bias and the fact that Alabama has been in the playoff so much recently, I think a lot of people are kind of tired of seeing Alabama. So I think the committee would use this as an opportunity to keep Alabama out, get some new blood in, seeing as how Texas hasn't been, and they're one of the biggest, if not the biggest, brand in college football. It's weird to say this, and usually other years I would root against Alabama, but I really like this Alabama team. I have no issues with you know them moving forward and making the CFP. We talked before the program about Georgia-Bama, and we'll preview that, but the likable guy in Jalen Monroe, I mean, what you saw against USF when he wasn't starting, and to see where he's at now, winning the ball games. Didn't have Jermaine Burton last week, but the thing with Texas would be interesting. I mean, we'll get into our upset alert, teams on upset alert, it's not going to be an easy road test at Iowa State, and they tend to not play well on the road, as we saw with TCU. So that will be an upset alert test for them. Um, we go through 9-20. to 20. Interesting here, and Joel Klatt didn't like this, and I kind of disagree with him here, and it's the first time I'll disagree with him. He's frustrated because Missouri's at 9 and Penn State's at 12. I like Missouri in the top 10 personally. I think they're a really good team, really good ball club with Cody Schrader, with Luther Burden on the outside, with Brady Cook. I don't have a problem with Penn State outside the top 10. I get it. Michigan and Ohio State are very tough games, but you cannot – if you don't have an efficient offense for me, and yes, their defense is a really good defense, I don't see why you got to be in the top 10 over, you know, teams like Oregon State, Louisville, and Missouri. I like, I like Missouri in the top 10. What about you, Cody? I mean, <clears throat> I see no reason why they shouldn't be. I mean, I like Louisville better than I like Penn State right now. Louisville's trending in the right direction while Penn State's kind of doing a little bit of a backslide. Um, Mm -hmm. and obviously we've been high on the Missouri train as well and the Brady Cook and Luther Burden train all season. So 
Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Cody Schrader's come on late as well, having that 200-100 game last weekend. So, you know, Missouri's trending in the right direction. Even though they took a, took one on the chin against Georgia, I think that they're, like, as a program, they're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. The only thing that pisses me off, and we'll wrap this up here, uh, Tennessee at 18 over, over my guy's Notre Dame. Come on now. Are you kidding me? Tennessee still in the top 20. I understand you're trying to get that, you know, the resume of Georgia, trying to make it a top 20 game at Tennessee this week, which we'll get into. But come on, man. Like, like I don't understand why they're at 18. That pissed me off, Cody. You know who should be 18? The James Madison Dukes. Yeah, fact, they're not even in the top 25. Yeah. I know. That's, yeah. And they should be. They should be going to the New Year's Six this year when they go undefeated and win the Sun Belt. What's crazy is I, re- I respect the AP. The AP's got him at 18, followed yep. by Arizona, which I don't understand how two lanes above Arizona, but we'll, we'll disregard that. Notre yeah. Dame over Tennessee, too. So that's some things with the AP, which will be interesting. Um, but, yeah, the CFP, this could be a week of disaster. Usually it's like the second to last or the rivalry week. We start to see some chaos. Good season yeah. chaos this week. But let the chaos begin with the first game in Corvallis. Five, Washington at 11, Oregon State. And Oregon State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Washington is an underdog. Now, I know where Corvallis is a tough place to play. It's going to be a night game. It's going to be loud. Riser Stadium is finally built up. Oregon State comes off of a convincing win against Stanford last week, 62-17. to They beat Colorado on the road by seven the week before. And then Washington, they've had really – this is about the, probably the three hardest weeks in all of college football for any football team in November. You got USC on the road, Utah physical team, and then you've got Utah Junior with the physicality in Oregon State. So I throw it to you, Cody. What what is your keys to the game? We'll start out with Washington. Washington, keep Michael Penix upright, so protect the passer, and let those receivers work on the outside. Um, Oregon State does a really good job running the football, so they might be able to control the ball. So if Washington, if you can – Sustain some drives, make sure that that Oregon State offense isn't able to create momentum and kind of get downhill on your defense. Let your defense rest a little bit. Um, Still take your shots downfield with your big play receivers, but if you're able to sustain uh, the running game and maybe Michael Penix, maybe Michael Penix can insert himself into the run game a little bit just to make sure that these drives keep rolling. Um, You know, I think as long as Washington doesn't turn the ball over, they keep it close. I was actually just talking with John Reese former Oregon State tight end, uh, current FSP uh, lead trainer. Um, He actually and I were talking about how, like, a lot of times in the past, it's kind of been like Oregon State's like the little brother, and they're always kind of like trying to live up to the Washingtons or the Oregons. And this is Mm. kind of the first time where it kind of feels like Oregon State's kind of feeling themselves a little bit. They're getting some national attention. Um, And Washington has kind of felt maybe a little bit disrespected the last few weeks because they haven't had a chance to move above a Florida State um, into that top four spot. So I think ultimately that's kind of what led to Oregon State being put as a favorite. And I don't think that they did Oregon State any favors by doing that. I agree with you 100%. The offense, I think, has got to set the tone early, start fast. And I think they kind of need to have the approach of when Oregon went to Utah. I think you've got to elect to receive. Set the tone early with Penix. Air it out early. Um, I think they score first. For example, for Oregon at Utah, their first four drives, they were three for four on touchdowns. 
including yep. the first one. If you can silence the crowd early, I think I think it you know gives more momentum for Washington, more confidence for Penix. This is a real Heisman moment for him right now. People think Bo Nix is above him currently. Some sports books do. Penix bounced back. Been kind of if I want to say iffy, but not the electricity as we saw early in the week. But again, the competition it, it, it's harder in November. And especially with their schedule, it's been a tough road for them. A good news for Washington, which I'll throw it back to you here. McMillan appeared last week. Jalen McMillan back in the lineup. So now you've got Polk McMillan and you've got Adunze. For me, I'd love to see McMillan spread it out to him, get him out there early. But maybe you can throw it to you, Cody, what you've seen from this offense and the receiver unit. I'd love to see Adunze, Polk, and McMillan switch up the roles. Like if Adunze is on the right side, one play, put him on the left side. Put him in the slot. Switch it up a little bit. Confuse these DBs because, again, this DBs the defensive core from Oregon State. They're lengthy. They're tall, but their pass defense is seventy third in the country. And oh yeah, Washington they've got the best pass offense in the country. So now you've got McMillan. Get McMillan going. Get Polk going. Get Odunze. They maybe even spread out. Maybe get some different formations and uh, and get those boys rolling. Yeah, you know I think uh, from what I've seen, and this is no disrespect to Ohio State. This is no disrespect to LSU. This is no disrespect mm. to Florida State, maybe, even. Even USC. But from what I've seen from the Washington receivers, their one-on-one ability to high point the football and go up and make contested catches, to me, is second to none. So if you're going to put those guys on an island with DBs and you allow, like you said, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, and Roma Dunze to get to work one-on-one, it is not a recipe for success. So... Mm. um. If I'm Oregon State, I'm finding ways to drop eight, drop seven, zone blitz. Do not try and man up against these killers outside for University of Washington. Yeah, and I watched the Oregon State-Arizona game once again with Cowling, McMillan, and the receivers they have. The biggest thing with Oregon State that they struggle on the defensive side of the ball is when you spread them out. When you spread them out. Like, all the way to the hashes, all the way to the numbers, way outside, because... Obviously, it stretches out the defensive backs. Then, then it's like the safeties have to think, okay, am I going to give them help on, on the outside? Uh, you know, when it's a pass situation, am I going to give help to the corners or am I going to stay inside and get a run fit to a guy like Dylan Johnson who had a rough week last week, but he's got potential we saw against USC. So spread him out, high tempo, multiple personnels and different skill players in different positions. That's what Arizona did against Oregon State, and they had a really tough time. I throw it to you, Cody. Let's go on the other side. Washington's defense, rushing defense, is 50th in the country. Oregon State's rushing offense is 19th. Um, They've got the leading rusher in the Pac-12 with Damian Martinez. How can Washington – you were at the Washington-Utah game last week. They did well against the run against Utah. Utah may not have ran it as much. They may have threw the ball more. But how does Washington on the defensive side of the ball stop Damian Martinez or at least slow him down? I think the biggest thing for Washington is just make sure you're tackling. Because at the end of the day, when I when I watched back, because I watched the Oregon game, because I, I wanted to look at like a, a team that had a lot of success running the football against Washington. Mm-hmm. I went back and watched the Oregon game. Funny enough, they're playing Oregon State this week. But I watched the Oregon game. Bucky Irving, I want to say, had double-digit broken tackles. And so if if you guys are allowed, to, are going to be able to make Damian Martinez get downhill, breaking tackles, earning five, six, seven, maybe eight yards a carry, it's going to be a long night. So as long as UW rallies, um, I think they should load the box, right? Force Mm. DJU to beat you through the air. And if he does, Mm. that means it's a shootout with Michael Penix, and we all know who probably wins that if it's a shootout with Michael Penix and DJU. 
no disrespect, DJ, you shout out to you. Love you so much. Yeah. Been a fan of yours. Um, but we can all agree that right now, if if you if you were to put your money on Michael Penix to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns or DJU to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and win the football game, we know which way you're going with your money. So, like I said, Washington, load the box, put seven in there, put six guys, seven guys in the box, maintain your run fits, make sure you tackle well, and force DJU to win the football game. Speaking of DJU, let's go Oregon State, keys to victory. And I want to start at the quarterback position. As the quarterback guru yourself, uh, they've, they've recently played Aiden Childs a lot more in the passing game, in the running game. Aiden Childs' the last two games is two rushing touchdowns. How do you see Oregon State playing DJU and Aiden Childs? And what are some keys for both of them? Because, I mean, Aiden Childs, big game against the number five team in the country. And you got DJU. This could be a breakout game, kind of put them back up on that pedestal where he once was early days at Clemson. Yeah, you know, like, you know what this game kind of screams to me? This screams, I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple years ago when Spencer Rattler was a sophomore at Oklahoma, there was a young guy behind him named Caleb Williams. Big rivalry Mm. game. Spencer Rattler was struggling. He was the big name guy. Caleb Williams was kind of like the incumbent starter to come in. Similar to Aiden Childs, they had some run packages for him. DJU maybe throws a pick early in this football game, maybe pick or two, goes three and out three or four times in the first half. Don't be surprised if you see Agent Zero come in for Oregon State and really start to sling the ball and not just run the football for Oregon State as well. That's interesting. I put also, I think Aiden Childs is going to get used a lot more. I think yep. out in space, Washington's not hasn't been good. We, we talked about it before, the defense, or the first three quarters of containing the quarterback and pressuring and you know making him uncomfortable. We haven't seen that yet from Washington. Have not seen that. Saw it late in the fourth quarter against Caleb Williams. Saw it late in the fourth quarter against Bryson Barnes. Can they do that with DJU? Um, for the offensive side of things for Oregon State, I, I think you feed Martinez and kind of play you know how Michigan played Penn State. If they can kind of get those long drives going, keep Penix off the field, maybe even get 10 more minutes of possession time, that plays into their favor. Because if, if Michigan – or not Michigan, if Washington has a two-possession lead, I really think it's over. But if it's a close game heading into that fourth quarter, it, it could get it could be you know Oregon State's game to be more aggressive in the fourth quarter and then maybe air it out late. Yeah, definitely. I think that, like you said, feed Damian Martinez, slow the pace, pace of the game. Um, I think that one thing that I've noticed with Washington – even if you get a lead on them, if you are able to, if they're able to keep it close when they're not playing their best, mm. we, you and I were texting back and forth during that Washington Utah game. You said yourself right at halftime, and I was like, "Yo, UW's defense is getting barbecued." And you were like, "Look, man, <laughs> they play defense in the second half like nobody's business." Sure enough, they hold Utah to under a hundred yards of total offense in the second half and zero yards after getting torched for over three hundred and fifty and twenty-eight points. In the first half. So if UW's defense is able to make those halftime adjustments and it's close, that mm. offense is going to do the same, make more adjustments, continue chopping wood, and they're going to be the ones that ultimately end up pulling this football game out. I, I'm going to throw this one back to you. Um, I, I have on my notes here, I think Jonathan Smith, I think he calls the defensive plays too. I think he's more of a defensive-minded coach. I, I think he needs to be aggressive on second and long, second to eight to ten, and third and long, maybe like, you know, blitz five or bring five or maybe even six at one point. Um, how would you stop? How do you kind of, you know, make Washington uncomfortable? How would you, if you were a defense coordinator, 
make Washington comfortable? And then what would you say like Washington's offensive weaknesses are? Because right now it looks like they have no weaknesses, but how can Oregon State, I guess, you know, make Washington vulnerable on the offensive side of the ball? Definitely. You know, that was uh, something that Utah did a really, really good job of in the first half, but for some reason they went away from it in the second half. Maybe Washington started getting the ball out of Penix's hands, but Utah did a really good job of basically they went no safety help. We're going to bring seven. We're just going to go man, and hopefully you guys have deeper routes called so that we get home on Penix early. Hmm. Sure enough, it forced a lot of quick throws. Concepts were not being able to get open quick enough. And so Penix, like we said, he had 18 incompletions, which is the most by far he's had all season, uh, 24 of 42 last week. So anytime you're able to force double-digit incompletions from a guy that's as efficient and sharp as a Michael Penix, you're doing a good job. So I think if Oregon State can take Utah's blueprint, feel comfortable bringing six or seven, because um, you know you don't have to basically QB spy with Penix. He hasn't really shown uh, the propensity to get out of the pocket and really run this year. So... Maybe that's a, like I said, maybe Penix can insert himself in the run game and that'll actually allow Washington's offense to stay on the field. Let's get into key players and then we'll get into our predictions here. Key players for Washington. Um, I think it's Michael Penix Jr. Straight up. It might sound like a cop-out, but this seems like the type of games, if you want to be the Heisman, this is when you show out on the road at Corvallis. It's going to be packed. You're an underdog. The nation doesn't think, no one believes in you. Um, I, I got him. And then on the other side of the, I think the linebacking core of Washington is going to have to step up. They're going to have to fit. They're going to have to, you know, be aggressive. Martinez, if he gets out in space, they're going to have to make tackles in space. Like you just said. Yep. I'm going to go with Michael. I had right here, Michael Penix Jr. And the UW defense, the front seven, because ultimately if you can force DJU to throw the football and get into a back and forth with Michael Penix Jr., UW will win this football game by double digits. What is your key player for Oregon State? Key player for Oregon State, another cop-out, DJU, and also the secondary, all four of them from Oregon Mm -hmm. State. Can they hold Mm -hmm. up for four quarters against the best passing unit in the country? Right? DJU, you can't turn the ball over. You're going to be called on to make some throws against pressure and in-pressure situations, national TV audience, prime time, night game, senior night? Yeah, it is senior night because they play at Mm. Oregon next week. Senior night. So, man, are you going to be able to shine under the bright lights in probably the highest profile game since he's been at Oregon State? Mm, Facts. Statement game for Oregon State. Maybe even audition tape for wherever they go next. My key player, I'm going punter for Oregon State. Josh Green from Australia. Now, here's why. If Oregon State can't get going early on offense, but they could somehow pin Washington, whether it's their starting field position is minus 15, minus 20, even minus like inside the 5 or 10. If, if Washington beats you by sustaining long drives, being pinned that deep, kudos to Washington. But in a loud stadium like that, if they could somehow, Josh Green, number 37, look out for the punter. Hey, we don't mention punters a lot on the show, but I think in a crucial game like this, Cody, they can pin them. Maybe that could play to their advantage. Who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, the- Australian kickers are dangerous, too. Yep. And, and they're aggressive, man. I feel like they like fake punts and they run because they're all rugby players. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to our predictions here. Um, let's go to you first, man. 
Five Washington, big test at Oregon State. 11 Oregon State, who you got? 35-34, University of Washington with a slight upset. Crazy upset. It's so crazy to say that. (laughs) It's so crazy. Um, I got Washington winning as well. Uh, I'm going to go 38-31. to I think they win by a touchdown. But like you said, um, again, it goes, comes down to quarterback. I think DJU makes a mistake, like you mentioned. Comes yep. out of Aiden Childs. We love Aiden Childs, true freshman. But at the end of the day, can they keep it with Michael Penix in this offense? I don't believe so. So those are our predictions for that game. Let's move on. Another Pac-12 game. The second game, the best game of the weekend, which – I wish it was a night game. This game is like middle of the day, which I think would play in favor of Arizona, the Wildcats, and in Tucson. And also this game is on Pac-12 Network, which stinks. So glad the Pac-12 Network's going away. What? I know. I know, bro. I know. Streamies, let's go, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sportsurge.net, baby. Let's go, baby. But, yes, 22 Utah goes into 17 Arizona. And right now we sit here on Wednesday night recording this. Arizona's a one-point favorite, but it's going to go back and forth on this one. Arizona's won four straight. Utah's lost two of the last three. They face Oregon and Washington. You already know Utah's hungry for a win. Arizona riding high with Jed Fish, Noah Fafita, Jonah Coleman. Shout out to the Coleman family for commenting on our last video. And then Tara Tona McMillan. So the young core from Oregon, from, from Arizona versus the physicality of Utah. Um, what stands out to you? Keys to the game. We'll start out with Arizona. Just keep riding the hot hand, man. Noah Fafita can do no wrong right now. He's protecting the football. He's distributing the ball to his playmakers. He's getting the right guys the ball at the right time, making the right reads, checking at the line of scrimmage as he needs to. The fact that this is in Tucson, I think, definitely benefits Arizona. Um, They're going to be able to communicate at the line of scrimmage as Utah starts to show those pressures, similar to what Washington was able to do in the second half against Utah this last weekend. yeah, you know, Jed Fish has those guys playing well. The defense has really, really started to rat- ratchet up. Um, mm. And it started with that big win on the road at Washington State when they won 44-6. to um, And they've just been able to ride that momentum all the way through on this four-game win streak. And, you know, I think uh, this is another opportunity for them to get a big win. For Arizona, um, it's funny. Uh, Jonah, Jonah Coleman's dad commented and said that he wished that Arizona fed Coleman more because I didn't realize this until back at the stats. He only had 11 carries against Colorado, 179 yards, averaged 16.3 yards per carry, which is insane. And I think in order Unreal. to match the physicality of Utah, you got to be able to run the football. So big test for Coleman. I think you feed him, which opens the passing game. And I loved what Arizona did against Colorado, and they've been doing this recently is a ton of motion with Cowling and McMillan coming from inside to outside or outside to inside. And then a lot of screens too, which I thought was interesting on third down or even in short yardage situation in the red zone. Those offensive linemen have gone out, got, been able to get some key blocks, including, you know, Jordan Morgan, which we're a fan of here on the show. But big news for U of A, Cowling, is he going to play or not? I think you saw he's probable. He had a concussion against Colorado. That'll be huge for McMillan. If not, I think McMillan steps up to the plate, be able to take advantage of those one-on-one um, you know, man matchups, which you saw, man, last week, Washington and Utah speak to your point there. Talk about Noah Fafita and his offense against Utah's defense. Um, what does Noah Fafita, McMillan, all those boys need to do or maybe even switch up against, you know, a defense like Utah? I think keep doing what you're doing, but Noah Fafita, there you are going to have to sit in that pocket and take a couple shots this weekend, my friend. Utah mm-hmm. loves to pressure 
Um, I think I counted probably like eight to ten zero coverage pressures, which means for those of you who don't speak football, that means they're blitzing seven and there's four guys in the back playing man coverage with no help. And I'm, I th- like I said, I think there was about eight to ten plays against Washington that they did that against Michael Penix. Uh, so I can only imagine what they're going to be able to do against a freshman quarterback with not as much experience and firepower, no disrespect, uh, as Fafita and McMillan. And like you said, with the Jacob Cowing possibly out, um, they're going to need to definitely lean on Jonah Coleman in that running game as well. And I think for Jed Fish, he's been doing a great job coaching. I like how sometimes on third and long, you know, if it's third and 10, he'll try to get that screen, like I just mentioned, to get fourth and one, fourth and two, to try to convert it. Instead of going for the whole shot to get the first down on third down, he kind of thinks of it as a two play. For me, for Jed Fish, you're facing Kyle Whittingham. Kyle Whittingham, when he faced Lincoln Riley three times, I'll coach him. Lincoln Riley tried to get too cute. Don't get cute with Kyle Whittingham. He's going to outsmart you. Just stick to what you're doing. Stick to the basics. And my biggest thing, Cody, if you're in position, which we talk about all the show, to kick a field goal, field goals are not bad. Trust your defense against Bryson Barnes. Take the points. Amen. Take the points. Because (laughs) Utah has shown, Bryson Barnes has shown throughout the year no matter how hot he starts, he's prone to a mistake. You saw it in the mm-hmm. Washington game twice. You saw it in the USC. Well, actually, in the USC game, he kind of rose to the, the occasion. Um, but ultimately, in the Oregon game, he just wasn't up to the task. And I think right now, if I look at across the country, there are two teams that I don't want to play right now if I'm struggling on offense. Alabama, University of Arizona. No disrespect to anybody else out there. To me, those are the two hottest teams in the country. How um, crazy is that? How crazy right. is that? That statement you just said. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. It is what it is. There's two teams that I just would not want to play right now. They're playing with swagger. They're playing with confidence. They're scoring the football. They're playing suffocating defense. Um, they're playing with a ton of confidence. You love to see it, man. Those are the two teams right now I don't want to play. And unfortunately, Utah has to play them after just taking a tough loss on the road in Seattle. Let's go to the Utah side of things. Bryson Barnes, um, I don't know what to think about this guy. Pig farmer. One week, he runs the hell out of the ball against USC. Next week against Washington, he's throwing the ball over the place. They don't run the ball as much. Uh, Cody, what does Bryson Barnes need to do to pull out the upset right now? I guess they're one-point one underdog, and they're, they're, they're lower, lower ranked than Arizona. Um, how do you see Bryson Barnes against the Arizona defense? Let's get to some of those keys. I think that they need to make sure they're running the football. Jaquindon Jackson needs to have 20 carries. I think even Bryson Barnes himself can have 10 to 15 carries, quarterback draws, zone reads. I think Bryson Barnes needs to throw the ball 25 or less times in this game in order for Utah to win this football game. For On the offensive side, I think they need to get the tight end involved too. Uh, their tight end's Layden King right now. He had two catches, 14 yards against Washington. That's not enough. Arizona struggles covering tight ends. We saw that with Oregon State and Belling a couple weeks ago. We saw it with Colorado and Harrison, wide open touchdown, a couple wide open passes inside. I think they've got to be able to get the tight end effective, which will open up the guys like Money Parks, the guys like um, Vele, who went off last week, five catches, 145 yards. But I'm calling out this Utah wide receiver unit. You're telling me that you're going to have a safety in Sion Vaki come in and be your most explosive, your go-to <laughs> wide receiver? Cody, how disrespectful <laughs> – is that to have a safety who's never played wide receiver since college come in and be the most explosive player on your team? I think a guy like Money Parks needs to step up. Being explosive on the outside will only open up the running game, as you know. 
I think the biggest thing for me is we're both receivers. Mm. In practice, the biggest shit-talking and trash-talking ever happened between the DBs and the receivers. Mm. So you're telling me, as a receiver, you let this guy... Because every DB in the world thinks that he could be the best receiver on the planet. Every DB that you has ever played DB will tell you, oh, man, if they line me up a receiver, I'd cook these dudes. Why, coach, blah, blah. coach, put me in a package. I, I got right, this. Yeah, put me coach, in a package. I got yeah. you. Blah, blah, blah. What? You telling me that you're going to let him come over here and be the best receiver? You guys got to get yourself together, as Rick Neuheisel would say. Mm, I love that. And then uh, lastly for me, Last point I got, they got to somehow pressure Fafita. Jonah Ellis, no sacks, two tackles, I think, last week. It's not good enough. You're supposed to be the lead pass rusher there. You got to make him uncomfortable. This Arizona offensive line, I've been impressed with. They made UCLA's defensive line. They look good. Look good against Oregon State. Look good against Colorado, even though Colorado has no one to pressure the quarterback at all. <laughs> if Fafita's got all day, every day, and he's able to scramble, I think Utah loses this ballgame. I think if they can somehow pressure him, Keep him in the pocket, contain him. If he steps up, sack him, or even just like force pressure. Again, at the end of the day, no, he has been looking great. We haven't really seen that freshman moment from him. Pressuring him with against Utah could be a freshman moment, and that could play to their advantage. Yeah, you know, like you said, we haven't seen that freshman. Well, we haven't seen a game with where he's had multiple turnovers. That's the thing. Mm. Maybe the one-off interception here a one-off interception there but we haven't seen a game where he's had to face the adversity of multiple turnovers and having to play from behind so is he going to be able to do that against such a good defensive front seven and really a good defense defensive unit as a whole i said earlier in the season that i thought utah's defense was the best in the country they faced a lot of injuries in fact did a little bit of research last week utah was missing 14 starters from that from that football team so wow um, they've been battling crazy injuries. So shout out to Utah. You guys are warriors. Um, but I think you're right. I think that if they can't get Noah Fafita on the ground and they can't force multiple turnovers from the freshman quarterback, I think Arizona is in a prime position to win this football game. Key players. I'm going Jonah Coleman. Again, they, the defense of Utah prides themselves in physicality and stopping the run, just like the Penn States, just like the Georgias. If Jonah Coleman can break out some of those big runs he had against Colorado, I think this plays the advantage of everything that Arizona wants to do on the offensive side of the ball. Key player for you for Arizona. I have two. Tedero and McMillan, win your one-on-one matchups on the outside. Keep doing what you're doing. You've been dominating at receiver. And Justin Flo, right? Number 10, the former five-star linebacker, transferred from Oregon. Hasn't really had one of those big games where he's, like, forced a turnover, had double-digit tackles, and really been, like, the guy. I think this is one with you being the middle linebacker, Utah's going to want to run the football. Maybe you're a QB spy on Bryson Barnes. Get a big hit, force a fumble, maybe get a tip ball, a pick, intercept a screen or something like that. Um, I think this is your game to shine. For Utah, I think it's the defensive line. We haven't seen two. We haven't seen much adversity from Fafita, but something I also noticed. Let's be honest, Fafita is a shorter quarterback than most quarterbacks. We haven't really seen a bunch of tip balls. They can somehow get their hand up there, tip pass, leads to an interception. Could that rattle Fafita? I don't think so, but we haven't seen the adversity like you mentioned before. So I got this defensive line for Utah as a key player, key unit for Utah. Absolutely. The defense the defense of Utah as a whole, like we said, if you can force some turnovers from the freshman and make Arizona play from behind, are they going to be able to withstand the pressure and be able to come back? 
Let's get into prediction, Cody. I'm going to start us off. I got Arizona winning. I think they continue to win their hot streak. I like this team a lot. I think it's going to be lower scoring, though. I'm going 24 to 21. I think it's going to be kind of a brawl between the two squads. I like it. I have it 28-24 Arizona. I think Noah Fafita continues his hot streak, and I think Bryson Barnes makes a critical error just like he did against Universal Washington, throws maybe a pick six mm. or like maybe a ball that gets returned inside the 10, and Arizona punches it in to finish it up. <laughs> I'm excited for that game. We'll be watching that one off of Stream East. <sighs> Stream East. Shout out Stream East, baby. Shout out Stream East. <laughs> Cannot wait for the Pac-12 Network to be away. Um, Arizona will be in the Big 12, so we'll be able to watch them every single weekend, which will be dope. So, Along uh, with Utah. Yeah, speaking of games that we'll be able to watch, SEC on CBS is coming to an end soon, Cody. This is second to last week of SEC on CBS. Um, and, it, and at 1.30, I'm assuming our guys will be there, Nestler and Danielson. Uh, Georgia on the road at 18, Tennessee. It's the first game that Georgia's the one seed. Tennessee, after a tough loss against Mizzou, goes down to 18. Uh, the spread is 10 points. Neyland's a tough place to play at. It's going to be like 3.32, 3.30 there kickoff time but um it's so funny I, for georgia keys right here i just keep playing georgia ball Let, let's start with georgia um what what do you think for keys to victory for georgia i mean they've been balling out great win last week against ole miss just keep doing what you're doing georgia <laughs> <laughs> sorry tennessee like the this is one of those games where it was like so hyped up at the beginning of the year, they're like, oh yeah, last year Bama came to Neyland, big game, we got them. We got Georgia coming in, they'll be the number one team, we're going to get them. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. To me, this to me, this screams another one of those games where like Georgia finds a way to make it like, oh, see, they don't believe in us, blah, 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 they're pick everyone's p- trying to pick Tennessee as a trendy pick, and then they end up winning like 52 to 14. So, to me, like, I don't think Tennessee has a chance. Joe Milton, you have not been as efficient as you needed to be in the short and intermediate passing game. Really, you haven't really been hitting the deep ball like you should have been all season as well. Um, That was kind of like the talk of the season coming in that, oh, Joe Milton has probably the strongest arm we've ever seen. That's great. If you can't complete a pass, it doesn't matter. So, ultimately, at the end of the day, Tennessee, have some fun at home getting clapped. <laughs> uh well yes i mean for georgia the biggest thing we question when brock bowers got hurt what will this offense look like and this offense has been looking even better even with brock bowers last week Vlad mcconkey better and better every week solidifying himself as that wide receiver number one that that target on the outside that beck loves now you've got brock bowers i'm assuming that we'll see brock bowers on a snap count in this game if it somehow becomes a close game in the first half, maybe he plays more for an entire drive. Maybe they don't sub him out. But, again, I literally have for Georgia, smart, physical, uh, you know, defensive line pressure, Joe Milton. They've done, they've done a great job being able to pressure quarterbacks all season. And uh, if they get up early, it's going to be a long day for Georgia. But um, I throw it over to the Tennessee side, man. I got a lot of stuff that Tennessee needs to get done. So, Tennessee fans, let's get comfortable, all right? Yeah. <laughs> um, first off. Tennessee, man, your defensive line is the best position group. And I think early in the game against Mizzou, the reason why you were into it was because they, they were able to pressure um, Brady Cook. And every time he stepped up in the pocket, he received pressure, whether that was a sack or whether he felt uncomfortable or the pocket collapsed and he had to throw it away or maybe a, a mistargeted throw to Luther Burden or to Cody Strader early. 
they can do that the entire game, they've got a shot. But I think it's going to have to start out with that defensive line because if they can somehow pressure Beck and make him uncomfortable, like we said with Nofa Fita, we haven't really seen much rookie mistakes from Beck. They can somehow get him uncomfortable um, and collapse the pocket quickly, make him uncomfortable. I think that's the biggest thing for Tennessee on the defensive line thing. Um, what are some things for you on the defense of Tennessee that they got to do? I think ultimately <clears> – <throat> Be optimistic. Be optimistic. Be optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I like I was going to say ultimately if you can stop the run. Actually no. I think if you can stop the explosive plays in the passing game to Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey down the field and make Georgia mm-hmm. go on these 10, 11, 12 play drives and really grind it out and make it difficult for them, I think that'll allow Tennessee to keep it close. And ultimately when you have um you know like when you have an offense like Tennessee's that has the potential to be explosive, like they mm. have with Squirrel White and those receivers along with Joe Milton, I think at the end of the day, like if you're able to, like I said, maybe force some field goals in the red zone from Georgia instead of touchdowns, it'll keep you in the game longer. It'll allow the crowd to stay in the game. It'll allow you to create a little bit of momentum, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball as well. Yeah, because you look at their two, their last two losses against Alabama and Mizzou, right? They both started out hot in the first half. Both of those consisted of a big, deep ball from Joe Milton. It was Squirrel White against Bama, and then it was the other receiver. I can't think of his name against Mizzou. That could boost the confidence of Joe Milton early. That's what he wants to do. He wants to throw the ball. We saw this dude throw an orange 150 yards. Like, this guy wants to throw the football. So, I, I get it, Hypo. You've got you've got three running backs in small, right, and Samson, which by the way, those three combined for twenty two yards last week. Yikes. You gotta be able to have run the football. Georgia's so up and down because some weeks I think Georgia can stop the run, like we saw with Ray Davis. And then some weeks you've got Cody Schrader, and even like Judkins seventy five yards last week was more than I thought he was gonna rush for against this Georgia team. So um be able to but hit the deep shots when needed to, but at the end of the day, they gotta be able to run the football against this Georgia team. Yeah, the way, like I said last week, Georgia's starting to kind of transform into that that death star that we've kind of seen over the last couple of years where that defense has kind of probably heard their press clippings like, oh, are they as good as the last two defenses that Georgia's had? Check the stats, mm-hmm. folks. They're about 0.5 points, like not, not as about 0.5 points worse than last year's defense. Other than that, just about every single relevant stat is about the same. So... Georgia's defense just right now just is kind of riding under the radar for some reason. I mean, I mm. think maybe when your offense is putting up 52 points, it kind of makes it easier to play and get plays with a little bit less pressure. But, uh, no, mm. Georgia is just as impressive as they have been over the past two years. And then, obviously, with Carson Beck continuing to take those strides every single week, getting better and better, probably one of the more underrated and underappreciated quarterbacks in the country right now. Um yeah, this Georgia team looks tough to beat. Lastly, um, let's talk Joe Milton real quick. Uh, been kind of a weird year for him, a disappointing year. I mean, again, beginning of the season, I had him as a Heisman candidate, which was <laughs> so far off the wall. That was almost as worse as my Texas Tech pick to win the Big 12. But I, for me, Cody, I, I reflect back to the Orange Bowl when he beat Clemson. This has got to be that type of game for him. Take me inside the mind of Joe Milton. If you're Joe Milton right now, what do you need to do against a really tough Georgia defense? But at home, you're at Neyland. So what does he need to do to come out with an upset against Georgia? 
I think Josh Heupel needs to let him throw it early and often. I think allow Joe Milton to kind of get into the game early, kind of get off script. If you're if you normally run the football on first down, let's throw a hitch. Let's throw a slant. Maybe even a play action and take a shot downfield. Allow him to be aggressive and kind of get into a flow and let him know, like, look, I'm riding with you, QB. I'm letting you know that I trust you. Let's go be aggressive. Let's go win this football game as opposed to try not to lose it. I think as long as Josh Heupel can kind of get into that mode like he was kind of last year with Hendon Hooker uh, driving the ship, even with Joe Milton in that bowl game, they were very aggressive, ultra-aggressive, throwing the ball down the field. Um, you know George is going to play man coverage. They're going to bring pressure. As long as Joe Milton can stand tall in the pocket and make throws and be aggressive moving the ball down the field, I think they're going to be just fine. <laughs> Key players. Uh, my key players for Georgia, uh, I'd say the water boy, water girl staff, because Edwards, Milton, Bowers, McConkey are going to have a lot of explosive plays, and those dudes are going to need water ASAP at the end zone. So I'm going to need you to run out there, meet them in the end zone as quickly as possible, because they're going to be running hella against Tennessee. Those, that's my key player. I mean, come on now. Uh, I think uh, I'm going to go with my key player in this game is the Neyland Stadium crowd. 120,000, show up, show out. Best opportunity that you guys have had to knock off a number one team in a long time. I think that this is a great chance for Tennessee to kind of salvage what has been a pretty underwhelming season so far. Um, Mm. And like I said, if they can unlock Joe Milton's ability and Josh Heupel can get him into the game early, I think, That'll allow the crowd to kind of create a swell of momentum and loudness. And just for, like, some perspective, the loudest stadium I was in this year was obviously University of Washington. They have 70,000. Add another thirty to 50,000 on top of Husky Stadium, and that's what Neyland Stadium is. And it's closed in. There's not an open side to Neyland Stadium. So the, the noise has nowhere to go. Um, can't wait to see the atmosphere. It's probably going to be unreal in Neyland Stadium this weekend. Yeah, that first quarter, this can be loud until what I think Georgia's going to start <laughs> rolling. I know is going to be preaching, hey, remember what we did last year to Bama? That's what the Tennessee fans are going to be saying to themselves, but I got Georgia winning 42-17, Cody. It's a great pick. That's a great pick. I'm going to go 45-21 Georgia. Wow, Georgia. I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. What? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, those are the top three games of the weekend. We've got about five more to talk about. But again, for those watching the episode, we appreciate you like, comment, and subscribe. Those game previews will probably be the longest ones because we've got some quick hits to hit. But we got a lot of stuff to talk about during this episode. So hold tight. But this next game, we got a little Big 12 rivalry in Week 12. 21 Kansas State at 25 KU. Kansas State favored by 7.5 points. And man. Kansas got a quarterback issue going on right now. Um, Jason Bean came out on Wednesday that Lance Leopold is very optimistic that he's going to play, which is huge. Okay. Uh, senior quarterback played well against Oklahoma. He had a head injury last week against Texas Tech, which led to their loss because they had to start a freshman quarterback, Cole Ballard, who didn't play the entire season. 9 of 20, 124 yards, one interception. Yeah. He's not ready for the moment. He was rattled. So if he plays, that's great. But I throw it to you, Cody, man. Talk about this Kansas situation going on, uh, Jason Bean. And then, man, it's still sad to see that Jalen Daniels is still not healthy yet with that back injury, man. Preseason Big 12 player of the year. Dude, 
the fact that Jalen Daniels, because if you think about it, he was the unquestioned leader of that football team, and they're seven and three. Imagine mm. if he was still playing all season. Do they beat Texas? I don't know. But they definitely beat other... Oklahoma regardless. Wow. The disrespect. <laughs> <Sorry. The> disrespect. <laughs> no. If I'm being honest, man, I just I feel for the kid. You know, I think at the end of the day, I think Jalen Daniels would love to be out there with his teammates. I'm sure he's probably doing a great job supporting um Jason Bean and the and the other guys in that quarterback room. I think at the end of the day, if Jason Bean can play, I think Kansas has a great chance to win. If he doesn't, um, I think Kansas is going to end up losing this football game. But I think uh, Jason Bean has showed that he's tough. Um, obviously, we saw him take some shots against Oklahoma, kept coming. And so uh, definitely going to be interested to see if he's going to be able to play this weekend. Do you think he redshirts Jalen Daniels? Because I, I saw some articles whereas. Um, some people think he'll redshirt, but some people think that Kansas is kind of over him and wants to move on in the future. So whether it's he redshirts and transfers somewhere, which would be kind of nuts for Jalen Daniels. But again, this is a guy the last Ooh. two years has been dealing with a ton of injuries. He could prepare for the NFL. Again, don't know if he's going to get drafted as a quarterback, but he could be that kind of, you know, that Khalil Tate that turns into a wide receiver or even a running back and plays in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I think redshirting is a great op- great option for him. I think if he's able to come back and continue to play for Kansas, depending on who they lose in the transfer portal, maybe even to graduation or early entry into the draft, Kobe Bryant, <clears throat> um, mm. I think ultimately uh, him coming back to college football will be the best decision he'll ever make in his career. On Kansas, si- Kansas State side of things, they rolled Baylor last week. Will Howard's been dialed. First six games. Nine touchdowns, seven interceptions. And then when you saw it, you start to see Avery Johnson in the picture. He said, nah, this is my job. Last four games, 12 touchdowns, one interception. Will Howard's hungry. If they have any opportunity to make the Big 12 championship, they've got to win this game. But Cody, um, I'm gonna throw it to you. What what I guess, you know, what have you been seeing from Will Howard? And besides that, you know, without that coaching error they had in the beginning of the game, they'd be in a better situation, probably could have beaten Texas, but um, Will Howard versus a tough Kansas defense. What sticks out to you there? Can't turn the ball over, Will. Got to keep riding that hot streak. These Kansas DBs are probably, I would say, the best group of DBs he's probably going to face all season. So he mm. has to make sure he is safe with the football, check the ball down, throw the ball away if it's not there. Do not tr- overextend against this Kansas secondary. This is the best secondary in the Big 12. Um, and I think that if he throws a pick six, a la what Oklahoma did early in that football game on the road at Kansas Memorial Stadium, I think that that's going to bode bad for Kansas State. I agree 100%. And then for the defensive side of the ball, if Bean's not playing, it's going to be a long day for Mr. Bullard at Kansas. If, if he's not playing, they're going to throw the ball a ton with Devin Neal. He's been a solid running back for him. But um, let's get to our predictions. I think Kansas State wins. I know the spread's seven and a half, eight right now. I think they win by 14. I got 35-21 Kansas State. All good, my guy. I'm going to go 31-28 Kansas. Upset. Kansas. Kansas wins 31-28. That's where wow, our picks I... start to separate, my boy. <laughs> I literally wrote down Kansas State because I thought going to pick Kansas State. Okay, Wow. This guy was trashing Kansas. Uh, I didn't see that one coming. I wasn't but trashing Kansas. I wasn't. 
Just being honest. Got it. Got it. Who knows? Maybe Jalen Daniels will play. We haven't heard anything from Jalen Daniels in a while. We thought he was going to play against Texas. Didn't play against Texas. So you never know. We could see him. That'd be crazy. Could you imagine? Um, Comes out, they smoke Kansas State. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be epic. Uh, Next game here, we're going to the ACC. And this one's puzzling as well. 10 Louisville goes at Miami. And as of right now, Miami's a half-point favorite. This is another pick game, which we don't understand. Yeah, I'll throw it to you, Cody. Um, have the people in Vegas been watching Miami, especially Miami at home, against quality opponents? Yeah, Louisville by two touchdowns. <laughs> well, let's start with Louisville. Uh, again, they had a close game against Virginia. Virginia's been a tough team, but been a tough out for a lot of teams. I think Virginia, they, they beat UNC. They beat Miami, right? Virginia beat Miami or it was close against Miami? I believe um, they did beat Miami. Yeah, so for me, my, my biggest key for Louisville right now, um, Jamari Thrash, get him loose. Close game last week against Virginia. He only had three catches for 22 yards. I think you got to get him loose on the outside. We saw what Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson did last week against this Miami secondary. Get him loose on the outside. Feed Jawar Jordan. Um, and, yeah, that, that, those are my keys there for the offensive side of the ball for Louisville. Um, what are some keys for you um, as you look at Jack Plummer in this offense? Jack Plummer, avoid the big-time turnover, man. You are very turnover-prone at the beginning of the year. You guys have started to catch your stride because you've been protected the football and make sure you got your playmakers the ball. You called it Jamari Thrash, Jawar Jordan. Um, as long as he is able to stay turnover-free or at least, like, turn the ball over like it's third and long and you throw a deep post and it gets picked off and the guy runs out of bounds. Like, that's just mm. like a punt. Like, don't turn the ball over inside your red zone um, where the team either gets a pick six or a fumble recovery inside the 10 type of thing. So, other than that, I think Louisville is going to cruise. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of it for Miami, Miami did play Florida State tough last week, 27-20. to 20. It's at Miami, even though we both know Miami's not really a tough place to play because their fan base <laughs> isn't really the best. But I'm going to throw it to you about the quarterbacks because it did come out with a quote from Tyler Van Dyke, who's been getting some heat from Miami's fan base, which is really small, really small <laughs> fan base. So that's probably why he was able to hear it. But he talked about how he said – his grandfather's been a good person to talk to and how he doesn't really consume his life, his happiness based on football. Even though his goals are for football, um, it doesn't really take away his consume his happiness. And last week we saw a freshman step in for him through t- two touchdown passes after Tyler Van Dyke threw an interception. Um, how do you see this quarterback, you know, battle being against Louisville? Who do you see being there? Who would probably be more effective and make a bigger impact for Miami? And then the other side of it, what are some keys for you got for Miami if they want to pull the upset, question mark? Yeah, we'll call it an upset. It's going to be an upset (laughs) if they win, for sure. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, I think probably – I think maybe uh, Coach Cristobal just wanted to kind of light a fire under him, sat him down. You can't turn the ball over in a rivalry game. You're an older quarterback. Let the freshman come in, take his lumps, even though he threw a couple touchdowns and kind of made that game close towards the end. Um, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I think it's Tyler Van Dyke's show. I think that if he's able to avoid, again, it's kind of the theme of the day, right? There's some underwhelming quarterback play um, throughout the year by some guys that we expected to be better. Um, and the reason mm-hmm. why is because they've turned the football over. Avoid the big f- turnover, um, and you guys will be in the football game because Miami does have some good um, athletes on the outside. Yeah, the last time that Tyler Van Dyke did not throw an interception during a game was September 23rd. 
at Temple. Since then, he's played in five games, 11 interceptions for Mr. Van Dyke. So do not turn the ball over if you are in the ball game, Van Dyke, especially at home. How bad is that, Cody? Jeez. Dude, double, like, look, man, that means in a 12-game season, you throw 24 picks. That's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, the boy's been struggling. Um, he could be a guy in the transfer portal. Hey, go to go to Rice. Go to like JT Daniels. <laughs> fill in for him at Rice there. But let's go there to prediction, go. Cody. I got to fill in where you're going here. But who do you got in this one? Louisville, big. Louisville, 38, Miami, 17. 38, 17, 17, 38. Shout out, Fetty Wap. I see what you did Fetty there. Wap. Um, I'm going to go Louisville. I'm going to go 35 to 10. I don't really see Miami scoring much. Again, they had some talent. They had some uh, wide receivers show up against Florida State. But this Louisville defensive line has been impressive this season, too. They, they Notre Dame had a hard time with them. Duke had a hard time with them. So what can Miami do there? Um, next one, which I wish this game was a ranked game. And it's not, unfortunately. But it's a Friday night game, which is kind of exciting. Colorado at Washington State. Both four and six, both vying for a chance for a bowl game. Washington State's a four-point favorite. Cody, take me into the minds of the quarterback. If you want to start with Shador Force or Cam Ward, what have you seen from him this season? And then what do they need to do in this game? Let's we'll start out with Shador Sanders. I think Shador just needs to keep doing what he's been doing, man. I think as long as he's not taking unnecessary sacks, throw the football away, Find your playmakers early and often. If they can mm. duplicate the, the TCU game plan of getting the ball out of his hands early, letting your playmakers after a hitch or a swing route or a bubble just play out in space. When you get a Weaver, a Jimmy Horn, a Dylan Edwards, a, a Travis Hunter out in the open space with the football one-on-one um, against the DB, they're going to win that matchup. 101 times out of 100. And yeah, the math isn't mathing. I'm just letting you guys know that they win those matchups. Mm. So ultimately, I think as long as Shador Sanders avoid the interceptions, avoid the sacks, find your playmakers early, I think that this game could be one of probably one of the best games of the weekend as long as Cam Ward and Wazoo hold up their end of the deal. I'm excited. It's a Friday night game, Pac-12 after dark. It's like the tease right before the weekend starts. Usually some yep. of those Friday games aren't really good, so... Um, again, two top passers in the Pac-12. Let's go to Cam Ward. This weird season for Cam Ward and Washington State. Start out hot, beat Wisconsin, beat Oregon State, and then it's kind of been a downhill spiral for Washington State. But what does Cam Ward need to do against this really, you know, um, not very good defense from Colorado, especially passing defense? I think they're one of the worst in the country. Which is crazy to me because I think that they have probably two of the best corners, if not the two best corners in the in- – maybe on the West Coast, in Travis Hunter and Cormani McLean. But Cormani McLean hasn't been playing enough. He's been up and down. Uh, yeah, he's been up and yeah, down. Yeah, it's hard to get a rhythm when you're, like, in and out. Uh, like, like they've been kind of, like, sitting him down, bringing him back in, putting him in, opposite Travis Hunter, for Travis Hunter sometimes. Um, I think if they're able to get into a rhythm on the defense side of the ball and they're able to play the man coverage that they like to play, blitz Cam Ward, get him off his spot, um, I think that ultimately Cam Ward has to avoid the big turn. Just listen. UCLA didn't learn this. Don't throw it at number 12. Just don't throw it. Like, if he's on the left, throw it to the right. If he's on the right, throw it to the left. Stop testing him. No disrespect to anybody. But 
Washington State, if you want to win this football game, you cannot throw an interception to Travis Hunter. Well, I mean, Stanford threw it to Travis Hunter that one game, and that receiver went off, though. You mean the first so, game back from when his whole stomach was ripped open by a that is That is true. Yeah, it was his liver, <laughs> not his stomach. Yeah, it was his liver, yeah. But, um, yeah, when I look at this game, Colorado hasn't had an 100-yard rusher the entire game. I think they somehow got to get the running game going. Dylan Edwards, Dylan Edwards, excuse me, since the first game, yeah, the TCU hasn't really run vacant or hasn't really done much. Again, he's a freshman, which we understand, but we saw him at the peak. I'd love to see him get in space. I'd love to see him get back in the offensive rotation for Dylan Edwards. I thought Buff. I thought the Buffs played a lot good last week. Shador Sanders was only sacked three times, which was really good for this offensive line. Because you usually get sacked like five to six times a game. If they can keep him upright for Shador Sanders, may have to be a guy in the running game, especially when the running game is not going. He might have to be the leading rusher once again. But um, yeah, I'm excited. It'll be a good. It'll be a good matchup between the two quarterbacks. It'll be a Friday night game. We'll both be watching it. Pac-12. Um, my last statement here, we'll go, we'll get into our prediction. Aren't, aren't you kind of thankful? Like, don't you think Dion's kind of thankful for Jim Harbaugh? Because like, after they lost to Stanford, it was like one day where people kind of trashed him for Stanford. And then it was like, the news came out about Harbaugh and there yes. hasn't been a lot of Colorado talk in the news. It's, well, now it's been with Dion Sanders and Texas A&M, but don't yeah. you think he's kind of grateful for Harbaugh? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the I just day, thought though- about it the other day, I was, I thought about it the other day. I was like, I'm going to bring this up to Cody and see what he thinks. Yeah, I think I think at, at the end of the day, Dion is so supremely confident that he's probably just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, at the end of the day, like, I think that he's going to positively be able to positively affect his team in every way. Um, he even said it that he needs to make sure find different ways to get Dylan Edwards the football, whether it's running it, whether it's throwing it. And he said that they need to do a better job this week of getting him the ball. So I fully expect him to have a big. Big game, both catching and running the football. Prediction time. I got Colorado. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. The over-under is like 65. I got Colorado. I think they got more athletes on the offensive defensive side of the ball. I think I love Travis Hunter. I love Shador Sanders. I, I, I'm a little bold take here. I think Shador Sanders, I, I'm going to say he gets 90 rushing yards. 90 Shador. rushing yards against Wazoo. Yeah, Shador Sanders. 35-32 on a game winner from Alejandro Mata. Alejandro Mata. Mata. I'm going to go 48-45 Colorado. I think both these defenses are horrible. Both these quarterbacks get hot. And I think it turns into a shootout on Friday night in Pullman. Two more games we're talking about here. And another one that we're kind of puzzled by why this team is such a heavy favorite. I looked at the injury report. Everyone's healthy for UNC. 20 UNC goes on the road at Clemson. Clemson's a six and a half point favorite. Cody, explain that one. Um, North Carolina has played crappy on the road, and Clemson is coming off um a big. They they won last week, right? Am I tripping? Clemson. Yeah, won? yeah. They won. They won at home against Georgia Tech in those ugly purple uniforms. Yeah, don't ever wear those again, please. They used to be cool. <laughs> now, not so much. Uh, not cool. Um, no, I think ultimately, I think Dabo's kind of like settled the people down. Like, I think if they would have lost to Georgia Tech, like I actually picked last week as my upset pick. Um, if they would have lost to Georgia Tech, I think the rumblings would have been loud for him to get fired. And that was going to kind of lead to him kind of getting that, getting a look maybe at Texas A&M. But I think he's been mm. able to right the ship a little bit. I think this is a great opportunity for Clemson 
to kind of salvage again a very underwhelming season where they were possibly picked to contend for the ACC championship with Kate Klubnick and uh, Garrett Riley. It's been weird for UNC. They've been in a, like two overtime games, and they've been in three one possession games. And one of those they lost to Virginia. They've had the opportunity late, late drive, and we've seen Drake May and this offense do well. We've seen him do poorly. Weird game against Duke last week. Um, Nesbitt and Tez Walker showed out combined, you know, almost over 240 yards on the offensive side of the ball receiving. And then Hampton had 169 yards, 31 carries, and one touchdown. And then Drake May, two touchdowns rushing too. Drake May can get on the rushing side of things. No turnovers from him. Um, get things rolling on offense because I don't really, I don't really trust this North Carolina defense, especially with Will Shipley back in the lineup. He was there last week. So now you got Mafa who's starting to show out ever since I thought he was a terrible running back. He's been playing better. You got Shipley. <laughs> and then Klubnik, he's been throwing interceptions left and right. He's on a four-game interception streak. But I think if he can limit to one, they still got a shot. But if it's two, I think it's going to be a tough time for Clemson to come back against Drake May, who's more a more talented quarterback. Uh, Mac Brown, interesting game here. What do you see from you know either side, either quarterback? Talk about Drake May. Talk about Kate Klubnik. I think Drake may, like, I feel bad for him. I genuinely do. I think that, like, unfortunately, he's kind of been, like, he's been an afterthought in a year. Yeah, he's kind of been an afterthought in a year where he's not been quite as consistent, but also just, like, mm. even when he does have a, it's like when he does have a good game, Jaden Daniels goes for, like, 300, 200, and Dylan Gabriel has, like, eight touchdowns for <laughs> Oklahoma. So then it's like, yeah, who cares about Drake may throwing for 375 yards and three touchdowns? Like, no one cares. So I think just it's, he's kind of been lost in the shuffle. I think this is a great opportunity for him to kind of show these NFL scouts going on the road to Clemson against a good Clemson defense. Um, time to show up and show out. You got the the weapons with Tez Walker um, on the outside back, still kind of getting into the flow of things after being suspend, or suspended by the NCAA or not eligible by the NCAA. So um, it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see. Clemson's third straight home game. They got South Carolina next week in a rivalry game. Cody, who do you got in this one? UNC, 20 UNC at Clemson. I don't have faith in either one of these teams, so I'm going to go 31-28 Clemson. Wow. 31-28 Clemson. I'm going to go. You'll hate me for this. I'm going to go UNC. I'm going to go 31-28 UNC. I'm going to double down like we did before with Washington State, Oregon State. I'm doubling down 31-28 UNC. I love it. Last game. We appreciate those for watching. We got some upset picks and some other stuff to talk about. A lot of going on in college football at the end of the season. Uh, UCLA at USC. And, man, this one sucks that both teams are four losses because this is a good rivalry. We saw what it was last year with DTR versus Caleb Williams. And now you've got UCLA with either Garber, Sheely, or Dante Moore versus Caleb Williams. A lot came out this week with UCLA likely going to fire head coach Chip Kelly. Now, is that going to be this is going to be his last game? Is it going to be next week's his last game? Is it gonna, are they going to let him have the bowl game? Who knows? But um, let's start. Let's start with the matchup. Then we'll get into the Chip Kelly discussion. But UCLA, USC, USC's lost four of their last five. UCLA's lost four of their last seven, including two in a row. Both vying for a win. What sticks out to you here? Um, for Chip Kelly's swan song, does he start to put doubt in USC whether or not Lincoln Riley is the right guy for the job? So. Hmm. Can Chip Kelly ride off into the sunset with a little bit of a buyout and a big win over USC? Mm. I hope so. 
Um, I just don't think he has enough consistent play at quarterback right now to pull this off. But it is a rivalry game. Um, they do run the football well enough against an, a USC defense that is historically bad. So let's just see if they can get the job done this weekend. Yeah, could you imagine if, if like, after the game, Chip Kelly comes out with the Uno reverse card, just like throws it at Lincoln Riley? Uh, the Uno reverse. Crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Chip Kelly, if, if you've heard that you're going to get fired or if it's all rumblies or whatever, I think this is kind of an epic game. Air it out. Yeah. Play all three quarterbacks. You know what I'm saying? Like Even maybe Dante Moore. Be like, hey, you know, Dante Moore, we've got a good relationship. If I get fired wherever I go, you'll be the guy where I go if he's an offensive coordinator or takes another – who knows? You could be the next offensive coordinator at you know Alabama or at Auburn, or you know be, maybe be the head coach at Mississippi State. Who knows? We'll get into that discussion later. But um, for me, when I look at it, I'm wondering who's going to start a quarterback. But I think it comes down to the USC offensive line versus the U- UCLA defensive line. Latu's a top pick in this upcoming draft as the edge rusher versus Caleb Williams. Can he contain Caleb Williams? Can he get to him? We've seen what Caleb Williams can do outside the pocket. I loved what I saw at the end of the game against with USC against Oregon, though. That was a good sign. What we were to see with Caleb Williams, the fight, yeah. not quitting on the, on the Trojans just yet. We thought he was going to be able to sit out. Again, we'll see what happens with the bowl game. That's usually the game where we see players start to sit out and go to the draft. But, um, man, I, I'm going to throw it to you. Dante Moore, do you think he starts this game? Who, who do you think starts the quarterback for UCLA? I think they give Ethan Garbers the ball um, with a short leash, um, similar to the Arizona game. Um, and I think that ultimately that is going to be the reason why this game is going to be close. I think if UCLA is able to run the football effectively, 30, 35, maybe even 40 carries for their running backs and quarterbacks, um, I think that they'll be in a good spot to win this football game. So USC is favored by six and a half points. Um, I think USC finally gets a win. I think they win eight wins. They go eight and four, finish their season. This is their last game because they played week zero. UCLA still got one more next week. I think they play Cal, but um, Cal or Stanford. USC, I got them winning. I think they win. I think they cover. I'm going to say, hmm, I'm going to say 42 to 38. No, sorry. That, 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 that's wrong math. 42 to 34. There we go. Love that pick. I'm going to go. I'm going to literally get you by one point 42 35 usc <laughs> oh i can't stand you jesus freaking <laughs> guy man i'm dead um and with it's gonna that, come down to the got extra d- point baby it's gonna come down to the exact, extra point <laughs> exactly <laughs> the extra point um and with that we did our previews shout out to all the games those are the must watch games of the weekend let's get to our upset pick cody start us out what's your upset pick for week 12 I should have picked them against Air Force, and I didn't because I had been picking against them for three weeks in a row. Shout out to the Army Black Knights. I think you guys host Coastal Carolina this weekend, and you guys upset Coastal Carolina. Army beats Coastal Carolina for my upset pick for this weekend. Wow. Wow. Okay. 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 Grayson McCall, I don't think, is playing for Coastal Carolina. That dude's been there forever. And you got Army, (laughs) um, I guess, which is interesting, too. You mentioned Air Force. Air Force is playing UNLV this weekend. Winner most likely goes to the Mountain West Championship. And then it puts Fresno State in a good spot, too. So I I think Air Force or UNLV gets eliminated if they lose this game. Kind of interesting mid-major talk there. For me, you see all the stuff in the background. 
It's a big week this week. It's a big week. A big week. I got Montana over Montana State. Shout out to the alma mater. Three and a half point underdog. The boys are balling. Right now, this is like the most high stakes that Montana, Montana State's ever played in. Montana's ranked three. Montana State's ranked four. Winner wins the Big Sky Conference. Winner wins the Big Sky Conference and outright. Yeah, and and secures either the two seed or the three seed opposite side of South Dakota State. So a lot on the line here in Missoula. For me, when I look at the keys to the game, Montana State runs a two-quarterback offense. They've got a really bulky quarterback, and they've got a Johnny Manziel type. They call him Tommy Football. If they can force him to throw, which it'll be tough. Montana secondary has been playing better. I think Montana wins this game. They've been hot ever since they lost to NAU. But I got Montana winning, man. I'm really nervous because we, we've only won one of the last four or five, I think. Which, thank God, when I left, we we won one. So I got a photo with the trophy. <laughs> Shout out my social media. But, yeah. man, I'm nervous for it. But it's going to be rocking there in Missoula. So I got Montana winning, which I'm excited. To give you, I'm, excited, I'm excited to take you to game one day, Cody. It's a great atmosphere. Absolutely. Uh, shout out, obviously, your ex-roommate. Former Game Ready alumni, Keelan White from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where mm. I currently reside. Jackson's college roommate. Um, Love it. Set the uh, school record for, what is that, 97-yard touchdown a few weeks ago? Yeah. yeah, 97 yards. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe he gets another big one this weekend against Montana State. Um and I'm calling it now. The crowd rushes the field, and they hold up the trophy. Montana wins. I'm going with the Grizz as well. Home team. Let's go, baby. You know what's crazy is we actually, when we beat them in 21, they wouldn't let the fans rush the field because we're more etiquette. You know what I'm saying? We, we're, already, we're so up in the series that, like, the security let the fans in the crowd. We'll, but, hey, man, that I got so drunk that night. We won't talk. We'll talk about that on another podcast. But yeah. <laughs> um, that that puts a wrap on week 12. And then our last discussion, we'll wrap this one up. Let's talk about some coaching. There's been a lot of coaching stuff going on. This is kind of the time where this week, next week, and the week after, we see a lot of firings. We see a lot of spots open up, Cody. But as of right now, the top four spots available for coaching jobs, Michigan State, UCLA, Texas A&M, and Mississippi State. And I know Texas A&M is getting a lot of buzz right now, but for me, the other three stand out, and and here's why. Because Michigan State, they haven't really put a a whole lot in their football program. They made the CFP once. Like, literally, their locker room is called the Tom Izzo football locker room. Like, it's a basketball school. Mississippi State, they're in the SEC like since Dak Prescott, when they almost made the CFP, they haven't been relevant. UCLA, they've always been in the discussion, but they always fall out late. They're a basketball school too. Which one of these, I'm interested to see who's going to put their money and say, you know what, we're going to put a big donation. We're going to change the football program. We're going to get so-and-so. Because I think one of these guys, Michigan State or UCLA, especially UCLA going to the Big Ten, they've got to get that sexy name to kind of bring those recruits over. So right now, USC kind of runs the Southern, the California side of things, Mississippi State with NIL and stuff. If they don't, if they don't step on it right now, in my opinion, I think they're going to get lost in the SEC and they might turn into the Washington States or the Oregon States and get left behind when these new conference realignments start to come later. And then for for Michigan State, I think they've got to be able to, you know, go past the scandal and try to keep those guys in there and you know maybe use that NIL money to their advantage because they've got a pretty good support system over there for Michigan State, but. I want to throw it to you, Cody. What are your thoughts about, you know, all four positions right now 
And what do you think their approach is going to be when they look for a coach? Yeah, you know, I think of the four right now, the one that uh, I think is going to surprise some people is going to be UCLA. I think Mm. NIL money being in Southern California, they're Jordan branded. And if you think about like the swag and what kids want to wear and how they wear shoes and things like that, Jordan brand being a Jordan branded school is definitely going to work well as recruiting pitch to recruits as well as transfer uh, players. So I think if UCLA can make a big splash with a big hire, um, I think it would bode well for them, especially with that move going into the Big Ten, kind of creating that first uh, mega conference along with the SEC. So um, I think it'll be cool to see uh, UCLA kind of make some waves on that uh, on the current coach's path. Speaking of UCLA, I've got two candidates that I think would be great for UCLA, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. First one, he's at Oregon State, and I know Oregon State's in the right direction. But they're not in a conference right now, okay? What if Jonathan Smith goes to UCLA? Love it. Takes his talent to UCLA. They go to the Big Ten, maybe drives the NAL, maybe takes some of those recruits from Oregon State. Maybe like an Aiden Childs. Hey, come to UCLA. Be a starting quarterback here. I don't know. That's one of those underrated coaches that I think would be great at a, at a bigger school like UCLA. Now it's a Big Ten program. He's the guy I have. But an intriguing one. This guy's been an offensive coordinator. Guy's been a wide receiver coach. Breaded the best wide receivers in the country. Yes. Ryan Hartline be the guy at UCLA. Yes, I love it. Absolutely love it. He's a younger guy, too. Jordan Brand's got some swag. He could be kind of that Dan Lanning in UCLA. Southern California. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely love the pick, man. I think Brian Hartline is definitely in line to be um, a head coach in the near future. Hopefully um, he gets an opportunity soon. Um, what he's done at the wide receiver position, as well as what he's been able to do as the offensive play caller and passing game coordinator for Ohio state this year um, mm-hmm. and the development of Kyle McCord, as well as getting his new playmakers, the ball when Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming were injured. Um, it's been really cool to see. So um, yeah, coach Hartline, hopefully, um, you can ride off with a national championship or something like that this year um, and go get your money in Southern California, man. And he kind of reminds me of a Brent Venables, which is like he's like one of like the top assistants in the country when it's all said and yep. done and paid and stuff. Yep. It's just a matter of when he's going to take that coaching job because I know he loves Ohio State. I think he's an Ohio State alum too. And he loves yep. breeding the wide receivers there. But at the same time, you know, Marvin's leaving, Emeka's leaving. This would kind of be a good time as – you know, there's some good receivers there, but this might be a good time to kind of make your way over to the West Coast or get that big time job. Could you yep. see him at AM too? I feel like UCLA kind of sits him best, but yeah, I don't know. AM's too big of a job right now. I think it's too big of a job. Um, it's too high profile of a job right now for him to step into and have the effect that he would want to or that he'd be able to have at a UCLA. Any other guys strike you when you look at UCLA that come to the top of the dome for you? Um, I think it'd have to be a West Coast guy, although, and I hear me out on this, I think, you know how people have tried to say, like, oh, Urban Meyer to Texas A&M? Urban Meyer is more and more, and when I think about, it, like, where he probably ends up, he's a Southern California guy. Like, that just, it just strikes me as, like, he's more laid back, more relaxed. He doesn't want to be in the SEC with the stresses of, um you know, the pressure of a Texas A&M and the collective there to win right away. I think if they were to give Urban Meyer like a three-year contract at UCLA, maybe he'd be able to directly affect some things there. But other than that, um, maybe, hear me out, 
Like I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd hate to see it because I don't want him to leave Arizona, but maybe a Jed Fish goes back to Southern California. He came from San Diego State mm. over to Arizona, a higher profile job, allegedly, uh, with UCLA kind of opening. To me, it's more linear than higher profile, but I'm biased. Um, historically, it just is. So maybe a Jed Fish um, gets an opportunity to go back to Southern California and coach for UCLA. It's going to be weird. It's going to be interesting to see the timing of these two because, again, most of these top coaches that we're talking about are either going to be in a bowl season or they're going to be competing for a playoff. So it's going to be interesting to see the timing of UCLA. We saw with Luke Fickle, Cincinnati to make the the bowl game, but he he gets hired to Wisconsin, then he ends up coaching the bowl game for Wisconsin. So the timing of two is going to be weird. For Jed Fish, I kind of like that UCLA fit. I'd also wonder, because they're moving conferences, Guys like Noah Fafita, McMillan, and Coleman, could he bring them along to UCLA? All Southern Southern California guys. Man, that'd be interesting. That Almighty there, be able to bring them over like we saw two years ago, which leads me to my next point. We saw two years ago, Caleb Williams follow Lincoln Riley. We saw last year where Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter leave leave Jackson State to go to Colorado. For Texas A&M. And this could happen with Nova Fita and all of them. For Texas a and i I'm, I'm standing on my point, Cody. I think Mike Elko goes to AM, gets his bag, and brings Riley Leonard. He's been hurt all year. There's a loaded quarterback class. We've seen Quinn Ewers decide to stay another year. George Sanders, hopefully he stays another year because he'll be a top three pick. Riley Leonard could be that Drake May of the class, get more SEC experience under his belt, play with bigger athletes, better talent over there, Ruben Owens and all of them and being a collective and just being a better environment. He's got Johnny Menzel there too. I think him at Texas A&M, Riley Leonard, that immediately they'd be a national championship contender, an SEC contender in my opinion, because they've got the roster, they've got the money, they've got the transfer portal ability. Mike Elko's got the relatability with players. Riley Leonard at Texas A&M, I don't know. That'd be, that'd be kind of, that'd be a huge change in college football. And that's what we saw with Caleb Williams just two years ago. Definitely. I lo- I love the pick. I think I think that, that would be extremely interesting because like you said, um, with Mike Elko striking while the iron's hot, man. I mean, like with the roster, like you said, the talent that's at Texas AM, along with bringing along a Riley Leonard who we've already seen has the potential to be able to play not only against top competition in college football, but ultimately at the next level in the NFL too. So mm. yeah. Interesting times, man. Interesting times. Can't wait for it all to fold unfold. Really? really is. I, I can't wait to see, you know, what happens next. It came out, too, that Dan Lanning's staying in Oregon. So I know you saw his house was for sale. Maybe he's upgrading his house because he got an extension. Who knows? Hopefully. I think it's good <laughs> for college football. I think Dan Lanning is in a perfect position, so I think he should stay there and get his bag. Yeah, and as West Coast boys, I'd kind of like to see a title at some point come to the West Coast. It's always SEC, Big Ten dominant. Let's let's have one come over here. So, and with that, we put a wrap on episode twenty six. Shout out to the boy Cody Oaks. I know you're tired. You balled out. Great episode. You prevail as always, either awake or asleep. You look great, my friend. Appreciate you, my boy. Just so you guys know, the dedication. Last week's episode filmed in the car. This or earlier this week filmed in the car. Last week's episode, or this week's episode, did all my mm. research in the car coming mm. home from work. Mm. 
And if I'm looking at my phone correctly, it's 1045 on Wednesday. That's how committed we are. The point after. Appreciate y'all watching. Be Make sure to put the post notifications on. Coming out with week 12 reactions on Monday. And then we've got a big show next week. We're previewing week 13, including the game, Michigan-Ohio State. Fingers crossed both teams went out this weekend so we can see them undefeated next week. But for Cody Oaks, I'm Jackson Groff. This is The Point After. Appreciate y'all. Do your research. We'll see you on Monday. Peace.